Faith in the Fresh Vibe podcast. My name is Rohati, coming at you from Treaty 7 lands. Ladies and gentlemen, season two is upon you. Season two of the Faith in the Fresh Vibe podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're going to notice that all of our episodes are available at once a la Netflix. In this season, we have Tony Snow. He returns to continue a conversation about indigenous spirituality. We're also going to share some history around this region on Treaty 7 lands. You want to pull both of those episodes out. I have two other guests in this season. The Tony interviews were recorded last year, and my other two guests, Deb and Moneta, they were recorded this year in June and July. That's important because that's smack dab in the pandemic world that we live in, and also in the middle of the anti-racist protests. So I'm excited to share with you this season. I hope you find some gems that you share it widely. I'm also excited for next season to get ahead of myself. Season three is going to center the anti-racist movement. We're going to pull in so many different voices. I think I'm going to try to pull in voices from the Decolonizing Christianity Canada group that is emerging in Canada. In the meantime, this episode, Deb launches us off in season two. We're going to talk about her background in policy, how policy making can be used to enact change in society. Deb is, well, she has wisdom beyond her years. She's building space for leaders of color on the board of some organizations holding space for leaders of color. She just launched a magazine centering Black authors and writers. Her background is in policymaking and communications, where she has focused in the past on immigration and refugee protection, and is now stretching beyond that in her work, sticking with public policy and stretching beyond. We're going to chat in this episode about policymaking, about reimagining neighborhoods and what safe neighborhoods look like. We're going to talk about what does safe neighborhoods look like for neighborhoods of color or people of color. What does it mean to reimagine our city, our neighborhoods, in light of new public protesting around the call against anti-blackness? What it means to become anti-racist? We're going to have all sorts of different conversations on identity, defunding the police, why or why that may not be a good idea. All that packed together in this 40-plus minute episode. So I didn't cut it into two. You can pause it if you need a break and process some of these ideas. I hope you find some gems. But we're going to go straight into our conversation about identity, public policy, and reimagining our city, neighborhoods, and beyond. So my Nigerian name, which is from my tribe, which is the Yoruba tribe, is Olua Fumilaya, and it means God has given me joy. And um, most Nigerians that you meet will have a name that's a sentence, and it's probably a name that's a sentence about God. Let's go back to the top, because we were chatting about names and, and uh, our funny names. And it's like, wait a minute, why why are these names funny? They're my name, and it's our identity. And um, so how did, we were just chatting off off air about the your three names and how they kind of came into this country and its format or share yeah. with us. Yeah, so I guess like in Nigeria, you can just sort of, not like change your names, but you're, the order of your first and middle, and everyone has at least like, so... When a baby is born, there's a naming ceremony. And so every member of your family gives you a name. So everyone has like 10 names minimum. You don't know them all and throughout your life, like you forget them. And But like the family member that gave you that name, like the auntie that named you something is going to refer to you as that and not whatever your name your parents gave you. So it's just sort of a thing. So we moved to the country and my parents were going to keep the names that they gave me, which is my middle name and my like Hebrew Jewish name, I guess, which is Deborah. 
And so we moved and they just sort of put like my Nigerian name first and didn't think anything of it. And now it's like followed me on my social insurance number and my passport and every documentation because yeah. it really matters like what's your first and what's your middle here. Did that mess you up in school? Um, thankfully, like in the CBE system, you just like can say which name you want to be referred to. So it was never, my teachers never like would have seen it on their attendance. But sure enough, they messed up my last name all yeah. the time. So mm. it's fine. <laughs> How do you pronounce your last name? It's Mebude. So every E, there's two E sounds in the Yoruba alphabet. Um, so it's, yeah, it's different than the way that we use the E and people can't figure it out. It's not their fault. You need to have some ethnic grounding uh, and history. The first language in Nigeria is... English. It's English. And and so when people are like, oh, what's your English name? It's like, uh, what are you talking about? Like... <laughs> I have, and so you didn't. You don't have a backup name. You just have this this uh, rich ethnicity behind you of different uh, of your of the naming ceremony and all the different pieces that comes together. Mm -hmm. um, no backup plan. My parents gave me backup plan. <laughs> What's your backup? Yes, my plan? backup. My backup is Barry. Like Barack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight up like, well, now it's like Barack. <laughs> Believe me, growing up, it was not like Barack. Who is Barack? That's dope. I've never heard someone say like Barack. I'm feeling Barry now. Presidential. I'm feeling so presidential suddenly. Can I say something funny quickly? Um, I don't know if you guys were on Twitter earlier, but it's uh, Trump's birthday today. Oh, okay. You're and dating so, the podcast. Well, yeah. oh, that's okay. But yeah. just for the sake of saying it, it's yeah. his birthday. So everyone's saying all birthdays matter. There's yeah, like yeah. a really trending <laughs> hashtag. That. Yeah, yeah. And I really like it. And then they're also using the opportunity to say like, this is the first Obama day. Like we're going to mark this day for Barack instead. Yeah, for that's Barry. The connection to Barry. For B. We're, uh, we're Twitter buddies. I like Twitter. I could uh, message Barry right now. We could be two berries in a pod. He follows you? Is that what you're saying? Well, I, yeah, but I follow wow. him, I think, is the bigger... No, that's not That's not, That's not. not the headline. Oh. That's a big deal. Well, I think it was just huge when the Democrats are first coming into power, and, and I was big into... I was a big Barry fan, and so I guess they like that. Unless it's him, do you think? I mean, it's definitely Trump on his account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barry. Yeah. They, so my parents gave me a backup name, but I never, never really used it. And sometimes in business, I've used it just, just as a mechanism to, to help white people hire me. Do you get a better reception with that name? For, for if it's just because a lot of my work is online and marketing. And so having Barry yeah, makes things more accessible. I've, I've dropped that since. I still have a number of my emails in business are connected. So some people just think I have a brother. Um, oh. but, but yeah, I try to now as a form of not protest, but yeah, to double down and, and tell people my full name. I don't let them get away with Roe. I'll say, oh, well, my close friends call me Roe Hattie. But you can call me Ro. And that's a new pot shot to people. Mm. So people Names I matter. like call me Rohati, but everyone I hate calls me Ro. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> say it like that. It no, it's subtle, subtle protests. Speaking of protests, we're just in the midst right now. Again, we date this podcast, but it'll come out at a different time. Uh, we're on Treaty Seven lands or in Calgary, and we were talking just after the George Floyd, which is just it was a symbol. He is a symbol. More than that, but the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back and the symbol that let out all this pent-up rage and sadness and everything connected to protests. And we were remarking right around it broke in Minneapolis. We were saying protests, protests in a group chat. Yeah, I'm not really feeling protests. I don't really comprehend and this is our context in our city mm -hmm. calgary doesn't protest so like what's the point and and you made a remark that you know in ottawa it made sense you go up onto the hill and you protest and there's a higher chance of being seen and making some noise but in calgary it's like when was the last protest that was idle no that wasn't that big uh mm -hmm. occupy occupy yeah. you know a bunch of progressive and 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 uh unemployed white kids were camping out in olympic plaza it was confusing a little bit yeah. And so 
you remember that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then we were blown away. Yeah, I was. I stood very corrected. It was surprising, and like I said in Ottawa, totally surprised. Um, it's not even just going to the hill because the hill's there, but it's also like every embassy to every country, with the exception of a few. So like you can always, if there's something going on in like Saudi, you go to the Saudi embassy and you like stand outside, or you, something goes on in the U.S., you're like, let's go be mad at Trump. And so there was just such a protest culture. Like there was, there was always a protest and people would actually show up and there would actually be sort of like a statement made. And so I just didn't think that Calgary did that or had that same capacity or interest. But I think it's all Gen Z. Those folks are... You think it's a Gen Z thing? They are out in the streets. Hmm. I think they're also bored from... Uh, coronavirus lockup on some level, but yeah, um, very legitimately, there were so many. It was young people in particular, but also other ages um, that seemed to really take this seriously in Calgary, and I was surprised. I was surprised too because, and I'm not, you know, the oldest. Maybe we'll have our fact checker check up with the years of Gen Z. I, I, I know the official answer, um, but yeah, you said culture. We do not have a culture in Oil Town, which is affectionately known as like the Houston or the Texas of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's kind of turning into the Florida of Canada Ooh. without the great weather. Mm-hmm. We do not protest. We're a bunch of oil barons. We have a lot of money and we don't rock the boat. And then suddenly thousands of people were clogging the streets, taking over bridges and I've never seen anything like that in my life Mm -hmm. here. It was remarkable. Like, I don't know what the numbers were. No one, I'm sure some journalists sort of had an estimate, Um, but it was clear that it was way more than we've ever had. And it was three events in a single week that all had record numbers. It was surprising. It was like, okay, the first one had a lot of people like, okay, maybe it was a a fluke. It was nice weather. And then Wednesday, same thing. And then the Saturday, same thing. And it was like... Wednesday okay. was huge. I don't know how big Saturday was Still compared to Wednesday. Big. Like, but Wednesday they were shutting down downtown. Yeah, and this is just not something that Canada doesn't really do. It although in Toronto you might see that a little bit more. Quebec Montreal, of has course. A culture, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is that French thing, I guess. Yeah, and Calgary does not. Mm-hmm. It's just like tumbleweeds of the prairies, but a million people happy to just make their money. Gen Z, I'm going to, Gen Z should be 85 uh, up to 2004. Um, I know some people just go by the years. What does the fact checker say? Mid to late 1990s for Gen Z. So millennials go to 80. Oh, so millennials are 85 to 2000. I've heard so many different demographic breakdowns with that. Like it's supposed to be generations. It, it is. But what I've heard most recently around millennials is like it ends around 97. And then it's sort of like the people that were born in 2000 and oh, like onwards are the Gen Z. Like the idea is that like millennials come of age in the new millennium. But like, I don't know, I'm born in 95. Like I was five in the new millennium. I didn't don't feel like I came of age at that point. But in most times I hear about millennials, I'm looped in with that as like one of the later millennials. You're a later millennial. Whereas I guess I'm a purist and <laughs> yeah. it's supposed to be generational because I've always been told, you know, you're an early millennial. Um, but if you go by generations, which is 20 years and mm-hmm. they start after the end of World War II, right? That means our boomer generation ends around 64 64, 65, and then Gen X up until 84, yeah, 85, 84, 85. Yeah, so put me as a late Gen Xer, which makes way more sense because I feel like an old soul in this body that is into neon fanny packs. And Well, I guess that's the nicest. <laughs> that's come back somehow. And that's the millennials. And then so Gen Z, so you, but, so you would say that the... We're younger than you? Here's why I say that. It's, it's based mainly on a friend of mine who told me that it was her the younger siblings and like all of their friends that were there. Um, I didn't attend. And that's because of all kinds of reasons, including family members that are sick in my home. Um, but from what I saw, there were a lot of like high school aged, new university which I think is normally who leads movements, like historically. Something like this, yeah. It's like the, the young protests. people. Yeah. So it's, it's not surprising. Um, but I do think that there was also a good number of people that are older. I think the fact that lots of people are home from work meant that way more people could be there. That was a factor for sure. Definitely younger. 
Um, but I, I feel that there has been a, a inswelling of response, of momentum mm-hmm. across the board, particularly in the church as well. That's where I pay attention to, and then social media to mm-hmm. some degree. There's something shifted. Mm-hmm. Something has shifted. Have you felt that? Yes, um, and maybe you want to go into this later, because I've also felt the opposite shift. Mm, I've had to delete a good number of people from my old church who have just been overly vocal on the internet about how systemic racism is a fake thing and how White people. it's unfair that people are out there yeah. protesting and we can't go back to church. And how are we being sheep, being led to just join the crowd and protest this thing that doesn't exist? And they're not racist, therefore racism isn't a thing. Um, so that's the element of the church that I've been very disappointed by. I think I've actually been more disappointed by the church. I don't know. I, there's There's been obviously some great um, showings from a lot of churches, but I think there's also been this like desire to believe that this isn't a problem. And even like a, if you believe this is a problem, it's like an affront to Christianity on some level. I don't understand it, but I, that's really something that I've perceived. You've you've seen a lot of that in your because maybe I've in just my curated my social media yeah. enough that I'm starting to like. Last week I was like, these are people I'm going to delete now, and they're helping me know that they disagree with me and my existence on some level. So here's the cultural exercise that Canada, U.S. as well, we've been culturally shaped to know and believe that racist acts are are wrong. Mm-hmm. are wrong because we have reduced racism as merely the single actor so the one dude's you know spraying a swastika on a synagogue or saying the n-word and so long as we don't do those single actions racism doesn't exist mm-hmm. and if i'm not a racist and doing those things and racism as a whole doesn't exist if you're a white person or someone working really hard to assimilate then it all makes sense for you because you have managed to not merely assimilate yourself but you are matching the dominant which is in this country white male gaze and so everything looks normal Mm-hmm. And you're intentionally trying to dismantle and reject the stories of your black and brown brothers and sisters. You don't want you, you don't even want to listen to those mm-hmm. of injustice in our midst. And my I feel like this momentum has shifted. Now I don't know how many white people know what they want to do and culturally we're not prepared or able to handle grief and sorrow. We want to internalize and individualize all those pieces. Mm-hmm. But I just have this encouragement that at least something has shifted that white folks and the dominant narrative is cracking. For sure. Yeah. So something was totally different last week. I was joking with a group of not even like individual black friends I was just chatting with last week about how like so many white people were being so nice and like apologetic (laughs) and like. Just like in weird, money? uncalled for words. Ways like a friend of mine was driving um, and got to a complete stop kind of thing. And there was a driver who was like upset with him and then saw him and that he was blind. And then like assuming that maybe in another <laughs> week this could have happened. But all of a sudden was like, oh, no, no, you go ahead. Like just like overly <laughs> well, they gotta do their thing, you know? Yeah. And the amount of messages <laughs> I got last week. Um, Did you get are you okay's from a lot of lots people? Lots of that. And, yeah. and I really appreciated it. It was amazing. But yeah. it was like, this has never happened before. Like, <laughs> and, and there's been plenty of people in the news yeah. who have died who are black by police brutality or otherwise. And this is the first time that I'm seeing like multiple sort of like yeah. people reaching out. And even like the trolls on my Twitter were like being kind of, they weren't being nice, but Less they were being trolly. like careful. And like, <laughs> I found them really funny. Like one person had said, well, I am more disturbed by the traffic on 10th Street Bridge than I am have ever been by racism. So I don't really feel like this is the thing. Like even that, you're obviously being a troll and dumb, but like you're being hilarious about it. Um, so yeah, anyways, last week just seemed really interesting. But I think it was really a moment where people were feeling like they, it, it became a bit more of a collective societal problem than just like the individual communities that are affected. Um, and all of a sudden, I don't know, there was just like allyship from every direction. Um, and even people that are, I remember seeing a thread from, this is someone I don't know, but like, uh, she calls herself a Karen. Like she's a middle-aged mom from like the Bible belt kind of thing. Um, and she was saying how like in the course of a week, just from reading, she's all of a sudden now like 
uh, on the political opinion of like defunding the police and basically laid out like a 30 part thread about why defunding the police is going to be good for people and why the policing system is built to basically like oppress certain marginalized communities. And anyways, there's just like a lot of people listening and changing their minds about things, which you don't normally see like that quickly. Um, journalists were all of a sudden covering different sorts of ideas. There was obviously like the Rex Murphy's and the Stockwell days that are always vocal. The, but old, the old stock. Yeah. But there was this other like sort of radical opposite point where the CBC is discussing like, how do we defend the police? <laughs> Which is yeah. a conversation that yeah, the week prior now. they weren't going to even have. Yeah, or... They're changing so fast, even mm-hmm. in the language that they're using. Yeah. And the is it Canadian press, I think, now switched and, and just this past week, you're going to capitalize black. Black, yeah. And it's, every, it's so it's cool. Like, really? And things that people have been asking for for a long time are all of a sudden, it's like, oh, our demands are being met. And so I was seeing really funny things like just friends taking advantage of people's generosity and being like, if you really want to support Black Lives Matter, like support a black woman, like send her an e-transfer today. Um, or like there was a really funny comedian who, I don't know if you guys saw this, the Fedora thing. Last week it was Fedoras for Freedom. He was like, thank you to all the whites out there for you know your support this week. But if you really want to help black people, we're asking you to wear Fedoras tomorrow and hashtag Fedoras no, for no. Freedom. And, and the somebody did. is amazing. So many people. <laughs> and I think some of them thought it was a joke or some of them knew it was a joke, but some of them were totally well-meaning. And like the blacks have asked us to do this. Like we're standing in solidarity. Here's my fedora. Oh, it's amazing. I don't know where people were very willing to fedora. just like jump in and help. And I think that was really new. The sustainability of this is my question. It's mm-hmm. all of our question. Is this sustainable? Because I'll tell you what, it's all nice on social media. Tomorrow, uh, it doesn't matter because the podcast will come. <laughs> Whatever. The, um, don't let Black Lives Matter hashtag become the next Coney 2012. Ooh. Because right now we're in a midst where... Y'all don't know what's going to happen after all this social media stuff dies down. Because if you actually put in the work, you're going to lose your privilege. And when that happens, we'll see who's still around. Mm -hmm. I think there'll be a remnant. And that's like all we can ask for. I agree. Because it won't be everyone. It can never be. Um, You don't know the loss. What's the... and And I had it in my book, but I could never find. And I'm not sure... If there is a known author to it, but uh, equality to the privilege looks like oppression. Mm-hmm. If you're going to lose your privilege, man, that looks like y- you are losing something. Mm-hmm. That's traumatic. Yeah. I was at Sarisha's house. I'll just name drop her because why not? Sharisha. And so just give her a quick plug on what she's doing for women of color. Is it? All, in... uh, it's like youth of color in Canada. Youth of color in, in public policy, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's the org called? Uh, Leading in Color. Leading in Color. Name yeah. Cha Ching. We'll put in a sound effect. <laughs> but um, this is like this is a bit of a, a side story. But um, it was a group of friends for her housewarming. There was like thirty of us, um, all from her church, and it was a really diverse white group. church, wasn't it? Um, her Most church part? was white, but for some reason, their young adults is very like diverse. So there's okay. like Asian people, like you know, South Americans, lots of people from across the African continent, like. It's, it's a pretty good subsection of folks, um, but there was like one white guy, <laughs> and at some point during our conversation, we were playing a game, it was one of those like, um, I think the question was something like bad career advice, or like the worst advice you can give to someone looking for a job, and his like smart response was, identify as a white man, and <laughs> he then like, and then I, when he said it, I was like, read the room, my dude, um, you're really outnumbered, but then he went on to say like, as a white man, he's as a result of like affirmative action, he's lost jobs and not yeah. been able to get into certain spaces and blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, and was sort yeah. of like whining and asking for our empathy yeah. as like all immigrants. Yeah. And then like the record needle came off. Yeah. But, it, but he did raise a legitimate, a semi-legitimate, you know, a, yeah, Don't offensive throw a point, which is that <laughs> <laughs> if you are going to make spaces for other people, then maybe some people that are normally in the sort of privileged position are going to lose some of their ground. I still firmly believe he has a way more access than I will probably have in my lifetime. Um, but he doesn't know that necessarily. Um, but what he sees is that like there are certain doors that are close to him. Um, when for us, it's like, oh, finally, there's doors that are open. Um, but all he can see is like what he's lost. You know who the number one benefactor of affirmative action was? 
Isn't it white women? White women. Yeah. I should have that. White women. Yeah. And, and they never brought in people who were unqualified. And you still have to, like, the people that are getting into those positions are still having to meet the criteria. Like, it's not yeah. like we're now just bringing in, like, the Asian guy um, who's, like, 50% good, but then he's 100% Asian. So we're good to go. <laughs> it's like, no, he still has to, like, meet the criteria. Good at math and piano. <laughs> check i can make that joke <laughs> the um i mean not without its criticisms of course which sort of segues us into policy action mm-hmm. and we're talking about systemic racism which is hot now everybody on systemic racism because some people just heard about this word and other people are just like yeah don't, doesn't exist rex murphy hashtag <laughs> i feel like it, it's it's so um indicative or just like it is a result of our very individualist culture. Like oh, people yes. have a total misunderstanding yep. of even a, a system, like the concept mm. of a system or something being like things working together or there being any sort of collective. Like because that idea is so divorced from like capitalism and all the other things, people cannot make their like they cannot understand how could there be systemic racism? Like systems don't even exist. Everyone's an individual. My mm. actions happen in a vacuum. Things mm. that happen to you are like one-off. Nothing's connected to And the we're past. not going to draw any conclusions. Yeah, because why? This doesn't relate. This is, is isolated. Yes. Yeah. So it's a total lack of understanding of history, but it also mm-hmm. is indicative you're incapable or at right now have been incapable of seeing systemic elements at work at society that seek to denigrate black and brown skin mm-hmm. and an indigenous skin. Mm-hmm. in this country i think it's also like if i can just speculate my theories like when so as a black person like i represent black people <laughs> incorporated trademarked yeah, um, yeah. but i feel All like them, so right? many white people yeah. get to be individuals um oh, and so like their yeah. action is just theirs but like if some i don't know when i went to in junior high yeah, when yeah. there's one other black guy in my whole grade and like he smoked cigarettes in the upstairs bathroom it was like ooh, black people are smoking but like if the, he, the <laughs> yeah. like the white guy that he smoked with wasn't yeah. like smoking for all white people in the school um mm. so i think there's even that piece where it's Lovely. like that cop did that thing but he's just like that one cop yeah um and, and here really I am, he's a different just one. you know he's being a good policeman yeah but like you guys have the same training which is that is that not some sort of a form of like a systemic education that happened together collectively i don't know it, it's it's weird to me what um, disturbs me about the policing and you know i had to walk tightrope on this but the the reality is we don't we don't uh collect race-based stats mm-hmm. yeah so you would find out immediately and this is part of desmond cole's book mm-hmm. you'd find Skin out immediately <laughs> hashtag that people of color are carded street checks mm-hmm. at a astronomically higher percentage yeah. but if that's not a problem then start collecting the stats start collecting the stats because when we see policing in calgary and, and edmonton specifically which are still the city's predominantly white toronto is not and toronto's facing some serious problems around anti-blackness in the police force mm-hmm. now perhaps that's that's a different totally different police force but systemically and institutionally this is what happens when white institutions are faced with a populace that is no longer white and they're fighting to cling for survival mm. and in this case they're responding with violence mm-hmm defund the police is the i haven't i haven't spent a lot of time analyzing that one in a canadian context Mm -hmm. how would you even do that policy wise yeah and i should like start disclaiming i guess that i'm not a defund the police like advocate personally i definitely believe in like huge reform and i know a lot of the the argument behind defunding the police is that like we've tried reform for all this time and nothing's oh, sure. really changed. Yeah. Or we um, talked about it. Yeah. My mind is really like, let us reallocate money in a lot of ways. Um, so one of the, the main um, ideas behind sort of, I don't want to call it a movement. And it's also not a new idea. Like it's been talked about since like the black power movement. Um, black Panthers were talking about it. Um, people like Angela Davis have been talking about it for decades. Um, but obviously in the newest sort of, iterations and as it's being talked about now it's ideas like rather than a first responder um who's often a who is a police officer um in most cases and is often called for things like mental health crises um someone's having Mm -hmm. like a episode of some kind or they're dealing with something um they're they're trained to not to de-escalate but really just to like 
uh, what's the word to contain someone or to like get, get them to stop. So they're going to taste someone, they're going to shoot someone. They'll do what they need to do if they feel like someone is being violent or if they feel like they're being attacked or their safety is um, going to be sort of compromised. Um, so rather than having like police be the first people that come, how about you have people that are actually like trained in de-escalation, like a social worker or a nurse or someone who's like, or even <laughs> I saw something really funny around like just bring in moms like they're so good at de-escalating yeah, they're toddlers like yeah. every day oh. um, so people who their first thought is not like let me shoot like they're not trained to go for a gun they don't even have a gun like their job is to deal with this thing and to help this person who's dealing with something um, so that's part of it is like let us I mean some of the defunding the police is um, the whole policy is all of the money that goes towards the police department goes towards like community safety precautions um, the idea being like we don't need policing so much as we need like safety. Like that's the problem that we're trying to solve. And like police in a lot of communities of color do not provide safety. So what can do that better? Um, so yeah, it's ideas of sort of like a, um, like a community patrol, um, sort of like police officers being peace officers instead. Um, those are some of the ideas, even ideas around like the amount of money. Um, and I heard this in the Toronto context that goes towards policing, um, traffic or not traffic uh, transit riding violations so people that go on mm, the ttc yeah. and don't pay um all the police officers that are doing that why don't you just make transit free um and then there's no need to police it because everyone can just get where they need to get and because policing in that scenario is so often just targeting poor folks that are trying to do stuff and like live their life and get around um and so it's ideas like that just like how do we creatively take our massive police budgets like in uh, calgary in 2019 the budget was about 400 million so $400 per Calgarian. Um, how can we like slash that money totally or just use it in, in ways that are actually solving the problems rather than um, continuing to, to police? Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. about, and if I, last I looked at the stats, it was something like 13, 15% of the total budget. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is not as big as in other cities, um, but it's still yeah. significant. Yeah. And I'm just a thought came across my mind as, as you're talking about walking with a gun or a taser. I was like, I'm curious to know what anti-blackness looks like in the police force in Britain, because mm. they have a certainly different training. But I don't think this is something that is solved by better training. It's certainly a reorientation or rather a reimagination of what our neighborhoods look like. Because mm -hmm. the reason why our police budget is so high is because the Karens in the suburbs are saying we need safe neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. That's why police budgets aren't touched. We need safe neighborhoods from gangs and drugs right. and black people <laughs> and junk Indians, because mm -hmm. those are the only Indians we know. Yeah, It needs a total reimagination, of which I don't know if we have that imagination. I mean, we have little pieces of do. it. Yeah. But we don't even know what that looks like. To even say defund police to what? We have no idea. There is a complete lack of imagination. If there's anything that mm -hmm. um, is learned from like, I don't know, watching policymakers or just politicians in general, like in a lot of scenarios, it's like you can't even conceive of a, a way to do this. I think of Alberta. I'll just quickly shout out our like lack of imagination around like diversifying the economy. It's like, how could we exist without oil? That doesn't make sense. Oil is oil. <laughs> we'll just switch to natural gas. <laughs> what? Like, yeah, there's there's just no sort of concept of like solar or wind or all the other things that like we can retrain people to do. So I think there is a lack of imagination. Um, but I, I do think people are sort of, I don't know, if you can shape the the arguments and the policy recommendations in a way that sort of appeals to people and makes sense um, and, and isn't too like threatening, I think I think we can definitely I think some some creative things will come out of this time. But it will it will it, it requires though people to acknowledge the problems and I think if we're still getting mm. caught on the conversation around systemic racism, like we can't get there. Yeah, we just starting we're just starting on the yeah. on the problems. I think part of the issue with public policy, I'm gonna ask you this question, I'll give you a second to process it, that what would be a public policy shift in order for us to reimagine neighborhoods in a different way? But I think part of the problem is certainly connected to the fact public policy makers are also white. Mm -hmm. and uh, those with the power have either inherited that power or they have the wealth in order to uh, enact public policy changes. Mm -hmm. um, nonprofits, NGOs are predominantly white. Government, of course, uh, is staffers. Um, so there's, there's even that institutional bias within the mechanism, the potential mechanism to change. Mm -hmm. What is a public policy shift that could happen to reimagine Neighborhoods. I wouldn't just say safe neighborhoods. I think mm -hmm. it's uh, reimagine healthy neighborhoods. 
Yeah. I don't know that I fully have the answer for that. I've been listening to a lot of different voices and um, even uh, to bring back the defund the police sort of ideas, um, even there, there isn't like a full sum from what I've heard um, strategy of like, this is what it will look like. This is who will do these things. This is how we now operate and move forward without police. Um, I think there is, I think on some level there's disagreement, but I think there's also like a challenge to sort of think of it because we're so tied and connected to and familiar with police and maybe this is like super theological but i don't believe that we will have like safety in this world like i don't know that that's possible um Mm. fully anyways like i just believe that sin is really a thing and like principalities and all these things like i believe that racism is like a huge principle like there's there's a lot um that's just connected to the brokenness of this world so um i'm a little bit less idealistic that like getting rid of police will solve all the problems, but I think definitely reimagining police will do so. Um, Definitely recognizing that police themselves do a lot of violence and that's even where we're coming from. That's the conversation we're having um, to begin with. And, And even like police officers are often the ones that are in their own homes, the perpetrators of domestic violence in a lot of cases. So you know what I mean? So anyways, I'm not sure what the answer is. Um, And I don't know that anyone really knows. Um, Yeah. And I, I could say it's heart change. I could say like, you come to know Christ and that solves problems, but like we're even having a conversation around people that know Christ and they're super blind to these issues and they're unwilling to confront them and they're unwilling to um, acknowledge that they even exist. So I'm not sure, but I definitely think a smaller police presence is a, a starting point. Um, and I do think like a strategy that's not so, there's a word I'm, I've been looking for. Um, it's not even reactive, but it's like, why is violent force the way that we want to solve problems of violence. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that makes sense mm. uh, to start non-violent. With. So, I mean, if you have a violent approach to your understanding of the cross, uh, and this is in a Christian context, sure. you're going to develop a violent understanding of dealing with sin. Yeah. I know there's some initiatives in, in this city and in most cities to build health. And I like the notion of holistic health. How to get there, I think, requires a dismantling of some cherished institutions. And we don't we need imaginations to at least test. I think that might start with dreaming, shared dreams of the dreams that we, we have uh, similarities in, the hopes for our neighborhoods and for our cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the church needs to be co-collaborators, not a leader of that, because most churches are not well in tune to their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, today, at least, the parish church is kind of lost. Um, we need a reorientation of our understanding of sin. Yeah, It's a funny thing with systemic racism, especially Christians who would claim that are the same ones who would believe in original sin, and that sin is systemic. Mm-hmm. And That's the only system... Through. That, that they believe in, though. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but they haven't made the connection that if sin is systemic, that one of the expressions of that power and principality of sin can can manifest itself into real systems mm-hmm. and systems that have been in place for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And it's the formation of those systems and how they are enacted today, but have formed culture, our culture, and impacted generations of persons and Christians of color uh, it's the formation of those things that have left us in a in a place where uh, we're asking and calling for justice because mm-hmm. something is not right in the world. For sure, mm-hmm. Ibrahim Kendi uh, wrote a book on, and, and this is not precisely his own um, idea, but he definitely elaborates on it that there are only two things: you're either a racist or you're an anti-racist. And so, mm-hmm. just for a moment here, let's. I'm using. Clarify. I'm using the term racism in the sense of racism is power plus prejudice. Power plus prejudice. Anybody can be prejudiced, mm-hmm. and it can be racialized prejudice, mm-hmm. right? But you can't enact, um, and this goes into policy making, mm-hmm. racist policies if you don't have power to make that happen. Yeah. And so POCs don't have that power. Mm-hmm. So racism, power plus prejudice. Kendi, however, threw a wrench in that a little bit for me in that. Um, he says you're either a racist or an anti-racist. And if you're not doing, if you're not working to dismantle racist systems, then there's no middle ground. Mm-hmm. Then you're still underneath or implicitly supporting racism. Mm-hmm. You're a racist. What are your thoughts on that divide of anti-racist 
to racist and nothing in between. It is ironically black and white. <laughs> nice. I struggle with, I, I get the idea. It makes sense in terms of like, we are moving on. There's, there's a, a current and the current is moving towards racism. And unless you're swimming against it, like by default, you are moving in that direction. That's a good metaphor. Is that a, a dub special? Um, I think I've Tweet heard it that. in some context yeah. before. Like, you know, I gotta this remember is the way that. things are moving. Write I think that I've actually one down, heard folks. it. I think I, like, I heard it in the evangelical space around like... No, that's a weird place. There's either that. like sin or you're like countering sin, oh, right? Yeah. Like our default, our sin nature <laughs> is going to make us sinful. So you got to like fight against it. Um, so that makes sense in the, in those terms. But I do struggle with like this super binary, like you're either for us or against us. And I was talking with Curtis about this. If you want to shout out Curtis. DJ Kinlock. I don't know if he has anything out though. I'm not sure. His, but download his CD. He doesn't have one. <laughs> his mixtape or EP or something. Yeah, download his um, But he was tapes. saying like he was struggling um, about the the idea that like, because he wasn't posting on Facebook, like he wasn't being an ally. And the idea like, if you don't oh, post, yeah, yeah, we were then you're not that. in the Black Lives Matter. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're not. You're silent. Yeah. You're not doing anything. Silence is complicity and so on. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And in that particular case, (laughs) I say that's not true because there's so many other ways to be vocal and advocate. Like, yes, there's the Facebook warriors that are like in the comments and they're fighting for me. And I appreciate that. But like also I appreciate people like writing a letter to their MP and being like, hey, racist MP, stop it. Um, Or the people that are like protesting. Like there's all of the different ways. And um, I don't think it's either or. I think it can be both and or all. Um, in that case, like, I think that's a lot of the conversation from last week was, or I guess I'm dating this, um, was like anyone that's not talking, like I'm seeing you, like you're being silent right now, therefore you don't care. But, um, I think people are still being anti-racist in ways that are less visible, which in a lot of ways, like what we saw in this past week was performative for a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. I would rather you be like sincerely doing something and like not posting Quietly, on Instagram. Yeah, than, than the performance. Um, but yeah, but the idea that like you're either racist or anti-racist um, in the sense that you, there is a default current and you're either swimming with it or you're swimming against it. That makes sense to me. Um, but I just want people to remember like there's not just one way. There is a lot of gray in this, but then, you know, that's the tension. Is it in fact black and white you either are or you're not mm-hmm. which really throws a lot of white folks under the bus but the, the curious piece of this is the whole reverse racism mm. you know conversation it's not a conversation it's an all lives matter stupidity don't don't say that um reverse race however however in this anti-racism or racist spectrum people of color can be racist yes in this understanding if you if you are not actively dismantling even if the system says you're not quite as good as the top, you're working hard to assimilate, you are part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, does that make you a racist? I, I guess. I guess towards your own people, if that's what we're no, talking No, I think about. it would be uh, you're upholding the systems of anti-blackness, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and so if you're not actively working to dismantle them, you're part of the problem. Yeah. That's an indictment to everyone, but it includes POCs. So that, mm-hmm. so in a sense that reverse racism, well, maybe. Now, you can't necessarily enact um, racist policies as a POC with ease, but what you can certainly do is uphold them. Yeah, and align with those that are doing that. Yeah, for sure. And is that, are you a racist? By, I'm going to say by association. By, yeah, <laughs> if nothing but not else. quite, you don't have the keys to the car you're not driving yeah. but you're in the back seat but you're a part of yeah. <laughs> and you're along going you're away on, to the destination along for the ride i don't know if you saw terry cruz's uh controversy yeah, yeah, last yeah, week yeah. around saying like if we are trying to be anti-racist yeah, without yeah. including white people then that's just we're just enacting if we're trying to dismantle white supremacy without white people then yeah, we're yeah. being we're black supremacists get, we're just gonna get black supremacy and so many people yeah. were graciously in his comments like delete this yeah, yeah. Um, what happened to Terry? Terry but it's because do he doesn't that? understand that power and privilege piece. He's also, um, I should say, like a black Christian that a lot of like white Christians like. So he's and so I think part of his base is unfortunately like I don't know if he listens to them or if he just has that perspective Maybe. or there's a lot there. But um, when he said that, I was like, I'm not surprised because of your like, I don't know, I don't know his politics, but definitely your well, like there's religious no aligning. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. And and you know, there's there's no one black voice. Right? Mm-hmm. We're yeah. not it's not the all black people smoke in the upstairs bathroom. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, there are from junior high. <laughs> there's a rich history when it comes to lament and how to deal with the loss of we in black and brown theology that we mm-hmm. need to look to because white church doesn't have it. There's no, no way that white church has any capacity to understand lament in the sense of a corporate sin or corporate loss because there's been nothing to lament about corporately. Right. And if you're at the top of the food chain and if your privilege has pushed you to a place where you think that even an all lives matter or a black lives matter rather is oppressive, my Mm. word. Yeah. Lamentation escapes you. You have no sense of corporate sins, yet your black and brown brothers and sisters are crying out for deliverance and liberation. Mm -hmm. And the key thing is our liberation is tied. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We all got to get out of this whole white supremacy thing that seeks less of us. All those systems. I heard a stat, and it was in the American context, but it was something to the effect of like, um, I'm not going to get it quite right, but out of 100 friends, a white person will have like one of each of like a black, Hispanic, Asian, and so on. It's 95%. Yeah, but then a black person will have like 10 white friends and like Mm -hmm. this many Asian and this many Hispanic. I think actually the black and and Asian communities in the US are a bit, not at odds, but like they have less sort of inter- mingling i should say but white so you know white protestants actually have the least diverse friendship yeah, yeah. but it's something to the extent of like even just in that small example like a, a black person will have like 10 times as many people that are that don't look like them or that are different than them than mm-hmm. like their white counterpart yeah yeah and 10 even times that, yeah. of three is, <laughs> right but it's still something <laughs> but that nuances like your understanding of the other and like and then there's even the whole sociological theory around like the outsider within when you're a minority and you have a better understanding of like the majority population than they would ever have of you and you kind yeah, of are able yeah. to see gaze, your culture yeah. and theirs um yeah, and yeah. so yeah the, i think let's go less systemic in this because that's what the yeah. thing that comes to my mind is just like reach across the aisle whether it's yeah. political or like racial um or even like go to another com- go to another neighborhood maybe go for a stroll somewhere else and like meet people that are in a different socioeconomic like <laughs> strata like i don't know um, but i think there's there's definitely value to like being able to meet people that are outside of your echo chamber. Um, Even churches are segregated, mm-hmm. which is the problem. Divided by Faith by uh, Michael Emerson is where you would pull out some of the data from that what I just said on the white Protestants, which is probably about 20, 25 years old now, and, but he's, he's repeated some of that uh, data before. Any parting thoughts? Thanks so much. Yeah, this was fun. Um, parting thoughts. I had something jumped in my brain. It's now gone. Racism, anti-racism, nothing in between. Yeah, I think like a a really key thing that I've been aware of in this last couple of weeks is that people don't have an understanding of our history in Canada in particular. Yeah. Um, We're even a little bit more attuned. White supremacy. Maybe on average, yeah, but like to the U.S. history. And then that's like our perfect, like, yeah, we just sort of like clean our hands. Like we didn't have that. So therefore, and yet we did have. Tell us about that. We did have a a history of slavery. Yeah, Um, yeah, tell us. us. Yeah. And I got into an argument this uh, week. This is Twitter is great. (laughs) Um, No, it's not. It's With this dude. So... Uh, I won't give the whole backstory. The point was, um, he was trying to tell me that slavery didn't exist in Canada. Uh, that we were the only country that didn't bold, have it. Stupid statement. And um, and so I pointed him to an article. You know, it's peer reviewed. Blah blah blah. And he was like, "Well, even this fraudulent article <laughs> says that." Uh, actually, an article, not from the post. <laughs> yeah, but. like this is actually peer reviewed, and it's a scholar and academic, and so yeah, on. Yeah. Um, but he's like, even your fraudulent article shows that slavery alleged slavery ended in 1834 and Canada was actually Britain back then. Therefore like Canada didn't have slaves. It was the argument. And I was like, okay, so because like something happened prior to the country, like naming itself arbitrarily at some point when it decided to in 1867, that means that we're clean, like amazing. (laughs) Nigeria was never colonized because it wasn't Nigeria at the time. It was just, you guys are doing so well too. It was so interesting to me. I was like, what a weird, argument so yeah so there's a lack of history Mental and then gymnastics. even when people do get you know the the facts they're not willing to i guess like accept them so anyways i think something important to do and all of us should do this um is just do more reading um and listen to voices that are within communities that we want to support like i've done this with the indigenous community um I guess the indigenous communities across Canada, um just done my own reading i didn't have to like call someone and like ask them to explain to me 
the racist incidents that they've experienced in this country or like how they feel mm-hmm. like intergenerational trauma from residential schools has affected them. It's like, yeah. no, no, let me yeah. go out of my way to find this information without like putting someone asking someone to like share their trauma with me. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's really key. And I think in the church and outside of the church, um, there's value there. And then I think for Christians in particular, I think there's a lot of value to um, challenging yourself to read like liberation theology and theologies but that black aren't, people make that yeah <laughs> but like and brown, it's brown not just like the white theologians especially because like who in the bible was not who in the bible was white first of all uh maybe the roman centurion i guess maybe um it's just the reality that like there's jesus there's actual you know it doesn't have to be a pagan idea because it didn't come from a white christian yeah that's um, a that's the formation of white supremacy is mm-hmm. a white eurocentric thinking mm-hmm. um yeah yeah you're right there's so many resources out there and i encourage everyone to reach out we'll have some of those pieces i mean cypher church in a, in a small way is is a church formed around resistance around white european thinking um, but we all share in that formation as well and can't escape it so there, there's a tension and it's a good one but we need to navigate it and continue forward in some way while we linger in the pain so thanks deb thanks so much i think we covered a lot it, mm-hmm. it's we don't make public policy cool oh it's so cool but uh yeah you make it cool so thanks Thank you. thanks for that and um maybe we'll do it again sometime to figure out where we have reached with all these dreams that we had.